Hey, how was or is Alaska? Was. I was there um, this past weekend, and it was uh, really beautiful and chill. Had a good time. Great. Cool. Saw some animals, a glacier. Wow. Those sound like the kind of things you have to see now while you can. That's it. I mean, I just feel like it's one of the last places that will be survivable in yeah. not too long. So, so getting in now. Right. I This is uh, the first time for me recording a show mid-movie. I just watched the first half hour of The Trial of the Chicago 7. Oh, yeah. I haven't started that yet. Which I would put in the category kind of with the Glorias as, you know... Uh, <laughs> over-the-top costume drama that's really meant to be a commentary on our current moment. But I think it's a, I think it's horribly cheesy, but it's more, it's more compelling as a movie so far, 30 minutes in. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to sitting down with that. I don't Just... like, I actively don't like Sorkin and yet I'm gripped by everything that I watched that he wrote. Mm. It's weird. It's where I, when I'm, when I'm not watching it, I can be academic about it and I know he kind of sucks, but when I'm watching his stuff, I find it very engrossing. Anyway, I guess well, that's for next week. Yeah, next time we can we can talk about that, and I'll have watched it for sure. I feel like there isn't. I don't know if this is just the moment that we're at in the world or what, but I don't feel a lot of excitement about things coming out. I feel like everyone who is in in the movie world just competes with one another to be the first person to have seen something, and then to report that they got to see it. They don't even right. care about the movie. They just care that right. they had the clout and the cred to get a copy of it. And nobody else has seen it and won't for months. And so what's exciting that's out now right. is a question no one ever has an answer to. Right. Yeah. And also, and this just kind of shows how stupid the whole industry is, but there's this blurred line of all of the like, prestige hierarchies of what's just a streaming title and what's a big major release like sometimes you can just tell and other times i don't know you know this apparently chicago 7 w- would have been a major theatrical release but it yeah feels to me like a netflix movie i don't know uh but all those lines are blurred the distribution has been kind of just exploded so yeah it becomes just about like you said who can see what when and it's weird remembering a time when you could just go, you had like this big menu and you can go see the movies and what movies are you going to prioritize? Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, what can I actually see? What do I have to sit through? Right. So I've been feeling. Yeah. So I saw one, one, well, I can't call it a traditional narrative movie. The Gloria's is a Julie <laughs> Taymor flight of fancy, but uh, one, yeah, I saw that and I saw two documentaries. I did not see Boys in the Band, which I believe you did watch. I did. I can report on that briefly. Okay. Um, All right. You want to do that now? Sure. So Boys in the Band is directed by theatrical actor and director Joe Mantello. And it is based on the 1968 play of the same name by Mark Crowley. Now, I was not familiar with this property before. And it is in taking place in 1968. It's a group of gay friends who are coming together to celebrate a birthday party at one of their apartments. And a straight former roommate of the host shows up uninvited and the evening goes off the rails. And as I'm watching this, 
I'm feeling guilty for not resonating with it more, you know, because at the time it was quite shocking and earth shattering to watch a room full of gay men have a party together and enjoy and talk about their lives and be the way they are. And now it just seems like, you know, every boring gathering that I might go to on any given night, you know, the same, you know, a little repartee and cattiness and, you know, pop culture references and then it kind of picks up speed a little bit in the in the last act where the host suggests everyone pick up the phone and call up a person who you've loved and tell them, right? And which, of course, you know, outs them and that's the worst thing ever. But it's amazing that the events of this movie are so recent and yet so foreign, you know, mm-hmm. even for someone closeted as I, that I look at this and I think, there's nothing novel about this, but I should care more about it because this is an important piece of history. And it's hard for me to connect with these characters being as repressed as they are, mm-hmm. you know, and self-hating. But it's it's a wonderful cast to watch. Um, Jim Parsons, Zachary Quinto, Matt Bomer, Andrew Rannells, Charlie Carver, Robin DeJesus, Brian Hutchinson, Michael Benjamin Washington, and Tuck Watkins uh, all reprising their um, Broadway turns. Quite Quite a cast. Yeah. Um, but it certainly plays like a filmed play. The the dialogue is just very stage dialogue feeling. If you just imagine what it must have been like on stage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's perfectly fine. But the what was earth shattering about it in nineteen sixty eight to me is no longer. Yeah. And whatever you know, regressive policies, even current or current political climate might try to throw at us. It's not taking us back to there, (laughs) you know? And so what can we do except just sort of be like, Oh, that looked like it was really bad for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're not really taken with what they're showing. What for a 1968 audience might've been like a look behind a curtain is now something that we know so well to be sick of. Right. Hmm. Yeah, what I'd heard was that the original uh, is, you know, dated and a little bit uh, archaic and some, and, and even though it was revolutionary for what it was, that it shows its its age, but that it has, but that the new one was kind of an artificial recreation that suffered for being so. So it's like you can either go with the original and have it be a little creaky uh, or watch the slick new one, and as you say, it's a little bit underwhelming to to enter that world now. Right. But all right. Uh, but that sounds like a recommendation, nonetheless. Oh yeah, it's it's worth your time. It's fun to watch the actors, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. Okay. Then we both saw the Glorias, which sight unseen, I was pretty excited about. Yeah, just just on you know knowing the title and the director, the subject matter and the director, Julie Taymor, uh, who wrote it with Sarah Rule. Um, this is a um, is this a, I get so confused and mixed up. This is a Prime movie, right? I think everything's in Netflix, but I'm pretty sure this one's on Prime. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, I believe it's included with Prime. So anyway, this is a kind of biopic of Gloria Steinem, but it's got the. Um, the artistic inventiveness injected by Tamor. It, uh, inv- it's really about uh, the Glorias is the title because we've got 
um, four or five different actresses uh, portraying uh, four actors portraying her and then Gloria Steinem herself as the fifth in a brief appearance at the end. Uh, Julianne Moore plays adult Gloria Steinem and Alicia Vikander, who liked my negative review of this movie on Letterboxd. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it looked like she was liking everything that re- mentioned it, though. So. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Kira Armstrong as uh, young Gloria and Lulu Wilson as, I guess, teenage Gloria. And the, the the kind of conceit of this movie is that these she travels the country a lot to speak and advocate and do what she does and found magazines. But uh, so the gimmick of the movie is that the Glorias, the different versions of herself, uh, are riding together on a bus and discussing their life. Uh, that sounds a whole lot more poignant and insightful than it ends up being in the movie. Um we see everything from her childhood with her strange traveling salesman con man father and her sickly mother and her interest in writing and uh, her early career as a journalist and then founding Ms. Magazine and becoming a, uh, a major activist. Um, and yeah, a very interesting life, very relevant story. Um, in a movie that is muddled and cheesy and boring the, I blame everything on the screenplay here that, uh, people just talk in still, it feels like a TV miniseries just like crammed into a, a two hour movie where you've got this. And then everybody comes in and says the cliched thing that that person would say, uh, if they were in that situation. And then this character says a sentence that tells you who they are. And I don't know, I, it's been so long since I saw it that I don't have like the, the, the examples and uh, things at the tip of my tongue. But I don't know, I, Dan, I felt like this movie had so much promise. Tamor is an amazing director on stage and film. Um, but I felt like this script was not interesting or exciting or insightful enough. And so you end up with a visually, uh, you know, exciting movie on the surface that left me feeling like I didn't know anything more about Gloria Steinem than I did before I watched it. Yeah, I I knew less. I think that the script is definitely the problem. The the dialogue was so was so rough throughout. I think the conceit of her meeting with herself on the bus is almost too theatrical to work in a movie. Mm. I I don't know. It it's like if you had maybe one scene like that, but since that was really the the building blocks of the movie that that didn't work really well for me yeah um there was this moment where we've got bet midler playing bella abzug and i don't know such a canned clownish performance am, am i wrong is that mean no no like, i think i agree yeah i mean i don't know but then you know they're outside a huge rally and gloria shows up with some girl scouts and abzug's like Oh, the Girl Scouts. I love the Girl Scouts. Come on, gals. You know, and like ushers these girls in all excitedly chattering. And I think if that had happened in real life, what would you have said to them? What would the conversation down that hallway have been? (laughs) What you just love the Girl Scouts? What? That that's and the whole movie was like that. Yeah. Where I felt like people were just making these remarks that could not possibly bleed into everyday happenings and dialogue that that were recognizable or realistic right every every it was like a pageant yeah yeah 
I feel uh, Midler's performance to me has a kind of a um, analog in the Chicago Seven with Sasha Baron Cohen playing uh, Abby Hoffman. Mm. When you have a, a historical figure who is already like a cartoon character, I don't know. I almost feel like you have to underplay it. <laughs> Yeah. If people already know the persona, you know what I mean? Like to lean into it and make it into a cartoon performance is just so off-putting and just feels like a sketch. It feels like, uh, and this, this, it kind of feels like a sketch movie too. The glorious, like here's the bit, it's just that they're not funny. They're, they're supposed to be poignant, but I don't know. Yeah. It was, um, I felt like it was a, a major misfire and disappointing because I really was ready for a movie about this, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have bigger thoughts about, moment movies like this and in the chicago seven then maybe i'll be able to articulate better next time we talk but um w- whereas i find that like my, my my appetite for them is usually not warranted and they usually misfire but anyway um yeah so i i thought this was bad <laughs> like that, that, yeah <laughs> <laughs> I did say it was an amazing cast, so maybe that's the part well, she liked. Maybe that's liking. the part she liked. <laughs> I mean, she is interesting. I thought the cast was fine. I didn't find any. I did think that maybe the the actors, uh, all the Glorias, didn't really like morph into each other. I, you know, it's a weird thing when you have that many people playing the same person. Is you need some kind of a through line where they look alike and act alike. And I thought they were a little too different. As, but again, that shouldn't matter if it's if the material is good. Was there a moment in this movie? Was this the one where like Satan materialized and there was like, but they went to hell for a minute or something? Uh, I don't. I think so. At least there was like she became a sexy nun, and there was like a Wicked Witch of the West moment when she was on yes. the TV show, and the guy was, you know, the the dickish host was ta- asking her about her sexy clothes or whatever. What was that about? It, it yeah, she be, she was like, "Is this what you want?" And she turns into this <laughs> sexy nun or whatever. It was very <laughs> silly. Uh, again, it was one of those things where maybe theatrically something like that could work as a number or there's an idea there, but it, yeah, it, I, I don't know about these important, you know, uh, movement movies and historical moment movies dipping into this kind of cartoonishness. It's very, it's a very strange mix. Yeah. I feel like there should have been more than enough in, in Sinem's own memoir for a story. Yeah. Should have been a lot of, lot of good moments. Yeah. Without those flourishes that didn't make a lot of sense. And again, I, I'm sorry to keep referencing the Sorkin, but I just was in it, you know, moments ago. Um, but there's this thing when you make these recent history movies where everyone in this movie, like the bikers she meets in the beginning and the you know all the different types of feminists at the Ms meetings everyone is a type everybody's a costumed type of person and i feel that way in the sorkin movie too and w- this history is recent enough that we know not everybody is a costumed right. type of person from central casting humans are humans and then you've got some you know factions and ideologies and whatever but uh when everybody who walks in as you say i guess that's the pageant aspect of of a movie like that where everyone has to it, again that's very theatrical where everybody who comes in you have to immediately recognize oh that's that type of person and i don't right need that in a movie <laughs> even if it's got a lot of complicated history it's trying to organize for me i don't know um the glorious don't bother 
Do you want to talk about what the Constitution means to me? I believe you recommended that one, and then I watched yeah. it. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, Google that. Oh, I'm so glad it's so popular. It comes right up. Yeah. It's a good title. She's going to be top of Google for... Yeah, so what the Constitution means to me is a recent filming of the 2017 Broadway play that was by Heidi Schreck, also stars Schreck. And... I had not seen this before. I didn't really know what the play was about, except that it was wildly popular a couple of years ago. And what she does is she tells stories from her real life about how when she was a teenager, she would go around to competitions that were sort of speech slash debate competitions where you had to know a ton about the Constitution and talk basically about what it means to you off the cuff. And Without it being a fire hose, I think she quite masterfully is able to give a lot of information about the Constitution, about social issues, about um, what it is to be a woman in America, about violence against women. And she brings in a young woman to debate her about whether the Constitution should be kept or abolished. And they're having what seems like, I mean, it must they must have a lot of planning involved, but it's it's made to seem off the cuff, the debate. Hmm. And ultimately, there, there's just so much going on, and yet it works. you know. And yet I didn't feel like I was lost or confused. I felt um, warmth and goodwill and ultimately hope amidst all of the awful stuff she's talking about from history and in our current milieu. Ultimately, you can walk away feeling like, oh, maybe uh, that is an important thing and worth fighting for. And maybe it will ultimately come through for the best, even if it's slow. And, you know, um, I, I just thought it was a, a masterful piece of work. What do you think? Yeah, I w- I really, really enjoyed it top to bottom. She's an impressive person. It's an impressive performance. And it really feels like a play more than I expected. It, I, I kind of maybe I uh, I greeted it as if it was like a Ted talk, but it's more of a performance. It's more mm-hmm. theatrical. Um, and I appreciate that. I think that, and this is on me that I expected something more revelatory as, as a takeaway, but really just getting that kind of a lesson and a grounding in what the constitution is and seeing someone who's so passionate about it, who's not, you know, a lunatic who's claiming that they love the constitution as cover for something right. you know, horrifying. Uh, to, I found that infectious. Um, and then the way she personalized it is truly, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's memorable. It's emotional. Mike Iverson deserves a mention. Mm-hmm. He's the actor who has a small part and he kind of has a surprising turn at one point. Um, and Rose Deli Ciprian is the young lady. And uh, there's another, another girl apparently who also did the debates on alternate nights who is featured in the end credits. But yeah, I thought it was, um, really great and i think it's worth a watch it feels of the moment this is a um as i say i really like that someone passionate and knowledgeable shares their enthusiasm in a in a creative way like this and this is something that i have endeavored to do in a very smaller and less successful way regarding the bible because i feel like the bible and the constitution have very similar roles in america where they just kind of exist for people to wrap themselves in it, uh, to, to claim, you know, superiority and moral high ground, um, when they actually don't give a rip about the contents. 
So uh, I don't do this as much as I used to, but it just, I feel like when I made my podcast book about the Bible, where I just kind of did like a walkthrough of what, what it, the text actually is and how it works. And that was aimed at people who weren't necessarily religious and was not a, a proselytizing kind of a thing. I was, this is like a much more inspiring big stage, uh, much more, uh, successful version of that kind of thing that I wish someone would do with the Bible. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And she manages not to make it a deconstruction. You know, she manages yeah. to, to say hard truths without being um, overly critical. Uh, it, it, but to me, it was really, really amazing. And I was so glad she was able to bring what she had learned as, as a teen. You know, she needed that mastery of the subject because her stories are all over the place. You know, part of it reminded me of like Nanette, right? The mm -hmm. um, Hannah Gatsby special, that it could almost be like a stand-up special with mm -hmm. poignant moments, you know, but then she's adding this whole constitution element that could have been dry or um, overwrought. And it just wasn't any of those things. Yeah. Yeah, a real, a real recommend and really a treat that it's just sitting there on, uh, this one's also on Amazon. Um Highly recommended. It's not going to like, you know, fix everything, but yeah. it's going to make you, it's going to guide you gently and emotionally and personally toward a deeper understanding of something that's very important to understand. And um, it does make you hopeful too that, um, I don't know, just seeing one American w get uh, get a stage to, to articulate these kind of thoughts and feelings. Yeah, I, I it made me equal parts you know, scared and sad and, and happy. Mm -hmm. As, as, as good art should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the only other thing I saw was the social dilemma, which I have complicated thoughts about. Yeah. Let's, let's hear them. Let me call it up here. So this is a, uh, 2020. Is it just, it's a straight up documentary comma drama because there are filmed segments, which is where my complicated feelings <laughs> kind of yeah. uh, come from but um this is directed by jeff orlowski oh by the way do we mention that mariel heller directed uh what the constitution means to me and who she oh, directed uh, i didn't mention that. The neighborhood. yeah i should i should have mentioned that yeah. um I, I didn't know that till just now but uh that's cool so yeah directed by jeff orlowski written by dave kumba and vicky curtis and um this is a documentary about social media and it is basically a bunch of the, the lion's share of this movie is a bunch of talking heads of people who've worked in Silicon Valley and been big players in the early formative days of social media at places like Twitter and Facebook uh, and Pinterest and elsewhere, uh, who now have turned into activists warning people about the dangers of social media and these are people like Tristan Harris. He's kind of the main subject, at least at the in the early uh, passages of the documentary, who uh, was a Google a, a design ethicist at Google, who kind of tried to from the inside uh, start a movement of towards ethical design to be thinking about the impact of algorithms and and uh, social media on the users. And he found a whole bunch of early support. Uh, kind of superficially, but then when he tried to push his coworkers to actually uh, act and follow up and uh, you know um, 
follow him further, people lost interest and he eventually found himself not feeling welcome uh, in that environment any longer. We've also got executives from Twitter like Jeff Seibert and we have Bailey Richardson from the original team who created Instagram and many, many others, people that names that are not household names, but these I'm just reading them off of the list and recognizing them from the film. Uh, and they're all talking about this is not about how social media fries your brain and makes you, you know, makes kids crazy and makes it's it's a lot more specific than that. It's about how the money making algorithms of social media apps and websites uh, pit human beings uh, against each other, against their own intellect uh, in order to keep making money for the companies that created them. They deepen the divisions that we have. They feed people ideological material just uh, completely amorally on, on the basis of what's going to get clicks and make money. And uh, it's got a lot of um, credibility because of the people who are sounding the alarm in the movie. It may, uh, a lot of them say that, you know, they felt like they were doing something noble when they helped found these companies. And then we had things like the Arab Spring and we had all sorts of beautiful stories of social media bringing people together, making uh, the playing field more level, being democratic and helping people experience, you know, news and, and information in real time. But then over time of of course, uh, we see the um, the real sour side, the, uh, the the dangers and the increasing division. And uh, humans created these systems and set up these apps. And, and basically, one, one thing, one takeaway from most of the talking heads in this movie is that humans are the ones who are going to have to uh, reconfigure it. Humans are going to have to change the course or else it's going to get worse. So that's the documentary. And then woven in between those segments of interviews, there is a, uh, a propaganda movie about a family that, uh, and all the different members of the family use social media. And, uh, we see the different, I don't It just, to me, it felt like a church video. It was so, uh, it was so cheesy and they didn't, they didn't need it. It undermined, I think the movie's message, by feeling like propaganda, by feeling like a morality tale, and with some really interesting actors in it. Uh, yeah. You actually have to scroll all the way through the talking heads to get to the act, to the cast. But um, let's see where. Yeah, so um, who's the kid? He's the most notable to me. Skylar Gazondo. As the, yeah, the son, the teenage son. The guy son. from Booksmart. The guy from Booksmart and the Righteous Gemstones. He is the, the teenage son who is radicalized by extreme centrist content right. on the internet. And I understand why they did that, I guess. But that makes it comedic, right? The fact that there are radical centrists <laughs> protesting around this people's town. I Join mean, that's the like conversation. <laughs> It was ludicrous. And also justice you know, I, now. <laughs> I don't think that being like prickly and both sidesy about this problem helps get to the heart of it. Um, but I didn't realize till after who the, the sister was, the sister who was so concerned about him and then ended up, they both get tackled and arrested at a, pro a radical centrist protest <laughs> at the end. Uh, Kara Hayward, who was the young girl in Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, that's who the sister was. Yeah, you're right. Uh, oh, and Vincent Cartizer. What a uh, yeah. Oh my what goodness, a, how what far come down. Yeah, 
I think that they just didn't have enough content to make a yeah. feature length documentary. Make an hour long documentary, though. It's fine. I don't yeah. mind. Or make a documentary short because the point is easy. Right. The point is really easy. And it's right that humans made this and humans will have to stop it. Humans will not stop it. You know, I yep. still have my Facebook against my better judgment because I just like it. You know, right. I like that it's there and is like a record of my life. And I just want someone to witness my life. Facebook, do it for me. And so I understand that like they are seeing everything that I'm doing as I scroll. They're seeing what I go by quickly and what I stop on and what I slow down for. They can offer to these companies, you know, a 99% chance that someone like me will see your ad just so long as we put it right beside an article like this, you know? So I know I'm being manipulated. I know that they know what will get a rise out of me and make me stop to see the ad. It's twisted and it's evil and it's just what it is. It's how it works. And no one's going to stop it. <laughs> right. And we're just going to keep on. Yeah. We are not evolved to deal with social media. Right. I think it's also counter to their point, if they want to be truly educational in this film, by having um, Vincent Cartizer portray the algorithm as three mm -hmm. different characters that are making decisions, showing a human being making those decisions is not helpful. Because what it is is a system that's been set up and is running on its own that is honing you know, your choices and learning and, and mm -hmm. following you around. Uh, it's a, it's a silly laughable idea that there's people somewhere pulling levers and trying to manipulate you. The whole point is that that's not how it works. It's like this, it, it's not like an evil AI necessarily that's alive, but it's the, it's the closest thing we have to that. Um, which is that, you know, these are systems that are making money, a lot of money for a lot of people. And that's, you know, one of many reasons that it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. I've tried, uh, I think this movie might have value if certain people watch it. I've tried to explain to my father, you know, he, who complains about Facebook sometimes as if it was a service mm -hmm. that's not serving him properly. I've tried to explain, you know, what they say explicitly in this documentary, which is that, you know, Twitter's not a, or Facebook is not a service and you're not a customer. You're the product. You know, it's an ad, it's right. an ad platform and your preferences and your life and your brain is the product um i i don't know how i i just obviously it's got to be better to have an awareness of that than not i'm the kind of person just like you i like having these things they comfort me and they're there and i also lie to myself that i'm smarter that i'm aware of the algorithms so it doesn't affect me or that you know i try uh, I mean, I'm totally in a bubble. I, when people say they're not in a bubble and they follow people they don't agree with, maybe I follow people like a couple degrees away from me because I'm not like that. But at this point, I've I've used the tools of social media to block all the people that I don't want to uh, be confronted with. Anyway, um, yeah, I, it, it is frustrating because there's I, they're totally right. This is a, a clarion call. This is a totally. Um, appropriate uh, alarm to be sounding but what is going to happen it's a very simple premise and one that i think doesn't demand a documentary yeah 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 i guess i don't know what why this exists because to me also having a bunch of um Silicon Valley insiders make a documentary that says this stuff we made is really bad. It's the equivalent of Nancy Pelosi telling everybody, you know, vote, <laughs> do right. something. 
you should you need to do something this is real bad you guys don't understand oh, somebody should do something yeah how much money did you make making this you know yeah. i i can't afford to live and you know <laughs> you sure can right now you're like we made a naughty right like, yeah uh-huh and they all unanimously say that they don't allow their own children near social media mm-hmm. and it's like well yeah okay sure you don't why'd you make it right it's frustrating they made it to make money right and it did so and now they've moved on mm-hmm. so they have some opinions about the uh, the way it works i think that's all i've got dan sames movie wise uh, but sure is nice to check in this has been holds up we have been josh way and dan hammer and thank you for listening we uh will be back again to talk about more movies including the one i guess that i just watched part of and uh you can follow us both on twitter and letterboxd on social media and uh beware of radical centrist content mm-hmm. guard your children mm-hmm. Our show is uh, not sponsored by anything or anyone, so I don't know why I started a sentence like that. But our music, our theme song, is by Jonah Rapino. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.